Welcome to Health 4.0 Leadership Podcast. My name is Namrata Bagaria and I'm your host. My guest today is Dr. Umesh Mukhi and he's a professor of management at FGV School in Brazil. Hi Umesh, how are you? Hi, thank you for, for, for asking me to join for this podcast. I'm doing great, how about you? I'm excellent, thank you so much. So Umesh, we connected a few months ago through Common Friends. And since then, uh, Health 4.0 has had a lot of momentum and also a lot of progress. So you are the second guest of our season three. Wow. <laughs> so Umesh, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Like where, what do you do? Where do you come from? And what are your top three mandates in the work that you do? I'm a professor of management uh, at, at uh, Sao Paulo School of Business Administration. And uh, being a generalist professor of management, I get to, to treat bits and pieces of, of different issues, which are again linked to, to the whole area of management, uh, specifically certain themes which I like to, to do on research and even teach are related to um, leadership, sustainable development, organizational development, uh, human resources. So I do see that it is an interdisciplinary conversation in which we do talk a lot about human potential, but then we also talk about organizational processes and the role of organizations in the society. So that's one, one part of it, which can actually, we, we can actually relate it to teaching and research. The other part, I, I do believe that, that once you assume an academic position, you're also in a position to analyze certain trends and, and, and share some perspectives uh, on that. So I do think that when you look at different policies, different practices across different countries or different organizations across the world, uh, we are in a position to, to at least uh, grab the information and try to understand and try to make sense out of it so that when we are talking with executives, we can engage in fruitful and stimulating conversations uh, or maybe even projects which have possibility to be implemented into some sort of best practices or policy-making tools. Mm -hmm. So Umesh, we had a little chat before we started recording and it was very fascinating for me to know that you do a lot of work regarding meditation and uh, management. And one of the key things that has come out of this COVID-19 is basically mental health. Right. And within the context of Health 4.0, my question to you is, what are the current, um, you know, what are the current challenges that you see and where are the opportunities that lie for something like a health 4.0 in the in the face of COVID-19? I think this is a million dollar question now which we all are facing, right? Because um, the way we ask question is as if we are expecting a bullet answer for that. And yeah. unfortunately, that's not the case. But I can definitely recall some of the practical experiences which I've felt. So for example, I was talking to some of some of the executives from fintech sector here in Brazil. Uh, and they said that, you know, some of us are staying alone. So the company has actually given us certain sort of sessions or meditation sessions or yoga sessions so that, you know, we, we don't fall into that kind of, you know, mental depression because all we do is sit in front of screens and we can't go out. So what kind of support we can have. That is one of the example in which we are seeing that, you know, companies are realizing that these are, this is a bigger issue. But on the other hand, also students, and I've seen students who are, who are stressed out. My students who come from different levels, uh, the ones who are pursuing first year bachelors to masters or to executive students, they are sitting in front of screen for eight hours. And then again, for them, it's a burnout, it's a stress. They are missing out the social part. 
So how to help them? And even they are actually embracing these practices through, through meditation apps. So this is what we are seeing. I do believe, and I've come to this realization, you know, after having lived in India, experiencing different culture, and then to France, and now in Brazil, uh, a lot of that I also feel is also coming out of the repercussions of individualism, which we are facing right now. Um, as we grow older, it is very difficult for us to make meaningful relationships and the friends which we can count on. Um, essentially for students, friendship is the major part which you build in universities. And I think so is for coworkers when you are working in companies. And, and I do recall in India, you know, we are brought up in a very collective way. Yes. Uh, university life. That's even, why I'm even, smiling. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, uh, even I was telling my wife, you know, we used to celebrate all the festivals together. You know, the, yeah. the, the whole building, um, you know, used to come together. Uh, we are living in times where it's very difficult to trust our neighbors. Yeah. And, and, and it's so funny you mentioned this. So for the listeners, uh, we record the podcast early in time. So I'm recording a week ahead. And today I released this blog on friendship. Funny, mm-hmm. you talk about that. And one of the things that I mentioned there is we need a village, right, to, to, to get. And the way I had a village in COVID-19, because there's a famous quote, right? It's not about the quality of your friendship or the quantity of your friendship, but the quality. But COVID has clearly proved you need both. Right. And, 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 and one of the things that I had, and this is exactly why after moving to Canada, I went to a university so that I can make friends. Mm-hmm. And I have a WhatsApp group called Parties and Potlucks. And, mm-hmm. you know, we have this, we celebrate everyone's birthday. Everybody's from a different country. And these are essentially all my friends collected together in one uh, WhatsApp group. And then we meet. Mm-hmm. But I can so agree with the way technology, COVID, mental health and management are coming. Because, sure. because even to implement something like this, you need management managerial skills, right? Get people together, have some decorum, know how to use Absolutely. tech. Absolutely. And again, you see, it comes from, you can see it from different perspectives, because as I said, this is a multidimensional problem. Yes. So if you have, if you have a, a CEO or a manager of a company who is sensitive about psychological safety, about the mental well-being, yeah. uh, and if he has, or he, he or she has the sensitivity towards using these tools and understanding the value of that, we will definitely see reflection of that in company policies. But we also think about families now who have to rethink to some extent, the family practices, the family values. And I think a lot of that would also, but parents have to take onus on that, you know, how they can become strong buffers for their kids uh, and vice versa as well. Because if you are tied up in this environment for four to five months, definitely, you know, you really need to have a structure to, to support you. I do know even for our school, you know, even the school did, uh, uh, um, a kind of a training program on yoga for, for its employees. So there's a huge space out there to tackle this issue from different perspectives. Um, and I think that this is how we have to deal with it. It's not one shot uh, solution. You would have to take different doses of different techniques or different policy or, or mind-body interventions to, yeah. to deal with it. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about sensitivity. My PhD supervisor, we have the biggest lab at the university where I am. And he made a WhatsApp group and we were sending jokes and we were saying, hi, and how are you? And we were doing video calls, like just to say hi. Mm-hmm. And then when, of course, now things have opened up and where I am, so we can, uh, we're thinking of doing a, whatever appropriate as per public health meeting, few people together. 
but and, and the leadership makes a difference of course university was supportive and the city where i am is, it had initiatives um it actually comes down to a broader problem um which I feel when you think of healthcare, all this is happening as healthcare, these organizational things, these are individual personalized. Today, your healthcare is not just hospital, it's your workplace, it's your home, and mainly your home, right? So the boundaries are diluted to the point that home is the epicenter of your work, of your school, of your personal life, your social life, of everything. And within, within this context, my question to you as a professor of management who focuses on leadership and sustainability is, there is no leadership. There's no thought leadership here. Like when you look at the work that our foundation is trying to do, the Health 4.0 Foundation, which is in registration process, is basically coming down to the municipal units and helping mayors understand how can we help and how can we uplift the, the, the health and well-being at home. But there is no thought leadership. Absolutely. And there is no sustainability angle to it, though we have SDG3, but there is no framework for this. So what are your particular thoughts on a technology is ready to deliver, but we lack policy innovation. We lack thought leadership, forget policy innovation. So what do you think we should look at or what can we learn or where should we look? Well, I, I mean, you know, the, the issue is, is, is very immediate. And, and one of the things which COVID has, has taught us is that our previous thinking wouldn't work for this scenario. Right. So I think this is where this we are, we are facing a paradigm change. Most of the policy interventions are dealt at collective level or collective yes. impact. And now we are seeing that individual impacts are very strong. And, and, okay. and that, again, how does it uh, extrapolates to the collective impact? What I do see, again, as when you're talking about thought leadership, is because we are living in this mess where there is no sense making between, between who is accountable. Is it the mayors? Is it the president? Is it the health minister? Or yeah. is it the private healthcare institute? Or the individuals who are not wearing or wearing a mask? Absolutely, absolutely. And this is where I think it becomes very difficult. So of course you would have some signs or you know some orientations from public authorities. We can of course look up to certain inspiring individuals, but I do see, for example, at least now from where I'm living, we can clearly see in Brazil, uh, it's been a major challenge. We, we are the country now who has changed two health ministers. Yeah. And again, with president at the, the, the controversy as well. So we do have a clear challenge out here in terms of recognizing how does thought leadership translates into best practices, which takes care of families, communities, cities, and then converts that into respectable practices. Most of the thought leadership is not also coming from behavior per se, Again, with, we are seeing that with what is happening in US, uh, sudden surge of cases. India is again in a contradictory phase. We saw that we implemented lockdown. We saw also that the government was very much active in promoting Corona warriors. You know, kids were doing this uh, ads. But then again, we do not have sufficient health system to back up. So you can have figures who are ready to inspire, motivate. But then there is a lot of backup which we need at structural level. And I think this is where you can see that thought leadership has to manifest in different ways in terms of health system, in terms of community care, in terms of political leadership, in terms of how businesses will transform itself. I think that's a very good point that you raised, because when you look at uh, a technology like, say, 
a 4.0, which has sensors, which has AI, and yeah. you're talking about contact tracing and a lot of places sure. like Canada are taking time because we have strong privacy issues in our geographies. So I see two, two parts and which I would like you to comment on. One is in countries like India, Canada, United States, which is by default a pluralistic society, which is by default where you're going to have different forms of government at different levels and where health is not a national subject, but a provincial subject and even sometimes a smaller uh, administrative unit subject. How do you kind of set the tone to do this transformation that is ahead of us? And the second is privacy reflects the values of the of the people, right? Um, for example, for uh, people in China, there's a different orientation on privacy versus in India versus in Canada. And it's also a make or break election deal for many policymakers because at that stakeholder, one of the key influencers is, will I be reelected? Will mm -hmm. this be bad? And, and, and within all these dynamics, where do you draw the line of leadership of delivering services versus getting coming back in power? Like, it's a tussle. It's a, it's a tussle, right? And I think that's why we are seeing that big tech is, is being dragged towards this debate, right? Yeah. Um, anything now can be dragged into a privacy issue. Yeah. Basically, and I think it's a bigger issue out there. And one of the challenges which we are facing in at least democratic governance is to treat this. But let's take, take this situation exceptionally. Uh, we are facing a health crisis amass which the world has never seen before. And I do think um, considering this, if the tech sector or any sort of technology solution which comes out with some sort of contact tracing, but also developing the sense of civic obligation towards saving us from this crisis is extremely important. So fine, privacy is important. It will always be important. Exceptionally for these circumstances, can we develop certain tools which will perhaps not risk our privacy that much? In any ways, for example, even if I'm not a tech expert, but for example, I'm staying in Sao Paulo, I'm in the city since one and a half years. I'm still relying on Google Maps to go anywhere. So whether I want or not, I'm still being traced. Mm -hmm. I have no choice. Mm -hmm. um, the Uber drivers are using ways. They are being traced in any ways. So how do we ensure that there are safeguards? But then again, for limited time period, uh, how do we ensure that, that the governments and the tech sector or tech companies can find certain solutions where they can come up with certain sort of policy interventions where you can enhance contact tracing, but also limit to some extent social distancing and so that people can stay at their homes and go out at respectable times. We know, for example, many countries did that. You know, for example, in India, my father was telling that they have to download the QR code to, yes. to see. In France also, you have to seek permission. Uh, mm -hmm. Things have facilitated. And I think the moment in which we are living now requires some sort of beta testing. Yeah. And then, you know, kind of uh, standardizing it. So, so we are waiting for that. And afterwards, it all comes down to, to, to this call for, right? So this mm -hmm. civic duty. Uh, yeah. This is where you, you, you really pointed out where you have different challenges at provincial level, at uh, state level, and at the national level. So when things are so haphazard, 
one one province may decline while others would accept but then i think this is the time which exactly calls for some sort of sacrifice or i would say some sort of higher call in terms of what can we do for our country so that we are safe from this crisis as minimum as to maintain the health protocols you know it's so funny the more i interview people on my podcast around 4.0 it's less about tech and more about people you know mm-hmm. it's 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 what's coming up like we've seen in canada clearly certain states where people were more compliant to the government uh, suggestions had lesser covid than certain states where personal liberties are valued more than complying to certain things and uh, it also goes back to the sense of we which we spoke offline before this mm-hmm. individual and collective thinking and how where you are born and how you are raised like if you're raised in a society which is individualistic very consumeristic where collective good is just a theory then mm-hmm. of course in times of covid-19 you're going to see challenges when you implement even the best tech solution that's there because fundamentally it comes down to human behavior right um yeah. and in such times i feel there's one level of thought leadership or leadership that is organizational or policy but then there's also the need for your community neighbors the champions within neighborhoods who 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 help and i know this is very theory right now because we all are at homes and we don't go out so we don't know our neighbors also but some kind of leadership at an individual or community level which is completely not even the topic of discussion right right you know? right we we saw for example in certain communities in brazil you know the community community was more active than what they were expecting from from uh, health or government authorities i do believe that tech has a major role out there because for most of the time we are stuck to our telephone or our computer so we know that we are being nudged in yeah. some of the other way and as you rightly pointed out that when you are at your cell phone or on your computer uh, you are consuming information and you are being biased in certain ways through that information so the way i think uh, we we are using that i'll i'll give you a very clear example when it comes to mental health and you know when when you are talking about also well being uh, i really think that whatsapp should also introduce some sort of time barriers or parameters because now for example a lot of work in brazil gets done through whatsapp so last week i was on vacations i did not wanted any sort of messages or i would rather select the messages coming at a specific time uh, same for my wife but we just couldn't avoid that because the messages just keep on flanging in so again uh, thinking it from the tech sector really understanding what is the role at this point of time when when the lines of professional and personal lives have become very hazy oh yeah definitely how do we set these barriers yeah. um, so that we use it responsibly yeah that's yeah. the case out there uh, the second important thing is again the role of tech which is a bigger issue out there uh globally is about fake news right and that is also affecting us in covid because we know a lot of fake news related to covid is being propagated we know that it is also being used for for some sort of political gains or scoring political points uh we know that it is also being used in 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 inducing some sort of biases as well and then let us not forget that there are a lot of many things happening in parallel apart from covid for which people want to you know change our attention towards those issues so again uh, it's very easy for us to get manipulated i saw that for example in 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 brazil uh, where the spread of covid 
was very much different in different states. So Sao Paulo was the state which was which took the first hit and it was less in the interior states where I was around three months back when we spoke for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that state is in the crisis mode and Sao Paulo is trying to come out of it. So we didn't see that the states prepared themselves well, but more importantly, people in those states n- didn't believed in COVID while one of the state was being affected. Why? Because perhaps they were supporting some sort of electoral base. I saw them cycling in the groups and I, w- I just couldn't understand that I actually left Sao Paulo to be much more secure in the interior of the Brazil. And now wh- what compels these people to have beers together and go out for cycling together? What is happening in their heads? So um, it, is, it would be wrong from my side to say that I have answers. I would say that, you know, this is the time to really start observing what is happening and try to experiment with the best solutions which we can have. And this is where tech sector has a major role to start checking the box at different points, managing work-life balances, managing uh, these sort of fake news, uh, trying, to, trying to also see how we can nudge people's lives to have positive thinking. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and coming to that, like, we started off this conversation with leadership and 4.0. And I, as I'm listening to this conversation go in so many directions of leadership from individual to organizational, I think there is a need for coming up with a framework for health 4.0 or, sure. or tech leadership where the leadership starts with individual and then it goes all the way from you, your community, your doctor and you and your hospitals, because that's one of the reasons in the beginning, I called it a Health 4.0 Leadership Institute. Now I'm moving towards calling it Health 4.0 Foundation and upgrade after the conference or the summit, actually. Because what I realized, we're not just doing leadership. There's a lot of other things that, that we have to deliver in parallel. Though leadership is one of the biggest lacunae that I see that's happening. And, and, and if you had to give three, three things, we as Health 4.0 Institute should focus on because we know now that so many things you mentioned fake news you so many things mm-hmm. where should we begin because this is exactly the state i have all the data and i know everything is urgent <laughs> and here you are with all these decisions to make of a new organization which is looking at solving some some of the issues not all of them mm-hmm. and with the who's performance being questioned or at times in 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 a place where I would have not imagined it would be. So with, when you have your figures, your, you know, your role models being questioned, like say mm-hmm. as a public health practitioner, I always wanted to work at WHO and I mm-hmm. still think it's doing a great job with what you're doing. There's of course challenges, a lot of challenges. Mm-hmm. Where does leadership start, Umesh? And what should we look at? Um, you know, I, th- I think that's, that's a really important question to ask. And, and I wish if you could ask all the policymakers Mm-hmm. to reflect on that because because this is where i think we start drawing the lines between what what is being expected from health professionals and they're doing their 100% best they're doing 1000% because trust exactly. me on that more, more than that and 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 then indeed when it comes down to to decision makers um and i've been having deep conversations about this uh, with people with diplomats with executives and i can tell you from what i've tried to make sense out of those conversations i do see some sort of convergence the first thing is we should stop politicizing 
the health issue. Health is not an issue which deserves to be, you know, I would say, it doesn't need changes every five years per se. This is where we are seeing that every five years, if you would rather have a new government coming in, there are different cuts, something. Uh, health is something permanent. And we are seeing major economists also coming to this conclusion that investing in healthcare is one of the most important factors for countries to gain competitivity and to have a healthy community, healthy workforce out there. So stop politicizing it, heavy public spending in that. So that's the first thing, rethinking how we make public spending efficient, less politically biased. That's the first thing. The second thing is accessibility and affordability. This is where I, I highly believe that the model of public-private partnership needs to work out. Okay. We have seen, at least in, in the countries which had public health care, um, the, the waiting period is pretty high. How do we yeah. see that private players coming? I know. I'm in Canada. Talk about that. <laughs> right. we, see, we see that in France as well. I was talking to a colleague. You know, he's like, appointment is now for, for September. Yeah. So how does private practitioners come in? Yeah. Uh, scalability using technology is important. So I believe that policymakers could be much more open to such, such avenues. Even for that sake, we are seeing telemedicine is, has opened up a new avenues, you know, where people can actually talk. And that's uh, 2.0, like telemedicine started in the night. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> yeah, no, I agree because, um, so it's fundamental policy, not even innovation, but catching up with innovation. Absolutely, because a lot of innovation is already happening out there. And frankly, me and you would not be aware, you would be much more aware about what's research happening. But then again, how do we consider that, that some innovation is urgently needed now, right? So um, there, especially in countries like Brazil and India, we would, uh, we would really need a massive impetus to healthcare in terms of how healthcare is accessible to remote villages. And we know, and, and this is where the third point I'm coming to is in terms of what kind of ethics do we design around the policy intervention for healthcare? Um, and that worries me, why? Because we know that health companies, um, companies who are in this sector want to, want to drive their, their organization towards profits, fine. But we have seen certain malpractices happening out there in India. You know, certain cases where you are not COVID positive, but you have been given COVID positive just because the lab wants to maintain money. How do I treat around that, right? How do I put a cap on that? And this is where the role of state comes in. So when you're talking about ethics in healthcare or healthcare 4.0, uh, it goes back to the first point, right? When you are prioritizing healthcare, it is the ethic. And when you compromise on topmost quality, uh, the topmost values of preserving a human life, there is no compromise on that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Makes sense. Wow. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much. And uh, before we leave, I always give uh, the speakers a 30 second spot to tell about themselves and their social media coordinates. So if you can tell the listeners how to find you, and I'll also provide a link. 
So if you can tell 30 seconds of what you do, your elevator pitch. <laughs> well, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm easily accessible. Um, go through the, the, the webpage of uh, Sao Paulo School of Business Administration. We do amazing things out here in Brazil. We are the leading school of business. Uh, you can reach out to me at umesh.mukhi at the rate of fgv.br. And I would be happy to collaborate you to, to, to partner on some projects and writing some interesting articles, research reports. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, and thank you, Umesh, so much. I had the great pleasure of finally interviewing you and uh, hope for much more collaboration. Thank you very much. And it was wonderful having this, this enriching conversation. I wish you all the best for Health 4.0. Thank you. Good. You're listening to... Health 4.0 Leadership Podcast with your host, Namrata Bagaria.